0: Hello, Cooper. Zach. We're back. We never left.
1: It's another Monday.
0: That's a good point. We don't leave the studio, people. We don't. But what did leave our studio is our beds.
1: We did, actually. We we moved our rooms around.
0: It's a full-time studio now. It is. With closets and our clothes.
1: Yeah. Basically, it's a big dressing room because we like to, like, we have to make sure we're in the right thing for the podcast. Right. It's like clothing's a mentality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dress good, look good, feel good. Yeah. Podcast good.
1: I'm loving your clown face paint, by the way.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Thank
1: you. So the wig is like it really your eyes are dazzling with that rainbow. Oh my wig. gosh!
0: You stop. Full clown you'd costume. Stop. Stop. He looks good.
1: He does his best work when he dresses stop, a clown. Stop,
0: Cooper. Stop. Okay. Well, jeez, get that out of the way. <laughs>
1: Speaking of makeup, yes, and things like that. We went. We went to the movies the other right. night. <laughs> right, we saw. Did. We saw a movie. We Actors saw. Just have to wear makeup sometimes. That was the transition there, people. <laughs> but you don't because you're just
0: you always look good.
1: Thank you, dude. I, you're I that.
0: But the movie we saw was 1917. It was. It was, out of 2000 1917.
1: That's where our rating. For. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's pretty good. We're on a two thousand. <laughs> no, scale. it's not
1: our rating. That's the title. The of The title movie. title of the movie is called 1917, and Zach and I have different reviews. On we do. You Here's want to the give deal. Your, your taste. For I your
0: thought it was good. I think the cinematography was great. It was I a one shot. It was so cool. I don't want movies to become that. Correct. But I thought it was cool. I thought the story was great. I feel like there was action at the right time. There, like the 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 character to follow was strong, and it just kept me on an emotional up and down that I loved. I, I really enjoyed it.
1: So, for Zach and Coop's movie reviews, yeah, how many clown wigs out of five? Clown wigs out of five. <laughs> I would give it a a three point five
0: to to four. Okay, a like a a four point five to five is very very good movie. That's yeah. like Remember the Titans type stuff, right? There. Yeah. So I'd say National Treasure, th- <laughs> National Treasure one and two, Book of Secrets. I love them both. But a three point five yeah. on the clown wig scale, yeah, for sure.
1: Okay. What do
0: you think? Come on.
1: Yeah. So I, I, um, I really thought it like, I applaud the cinematography. Right. So like Zach said, they filmed it in a way that it appeared as though it was all one shot. Like there was not a bunch of different shots or camera angles or changes or anything like that. Pretty like, it crazy. Was, it was literally following two people the on entire a journey the entire way. We won't say any spoilers about no, any of those people or what happens in case you want to see the movie. But for me, it was too slow. There was a lot of, like, walking. Right. Like, there was, like, in, in a lot of movies, you see... They covered about eight miles in one shot. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, you can tell. that Parts of it were
1: slow. Part of, of it, here. and there's times where there are not enough people to create dialogue. Right. And so, there's just not really a soundtrack either. Like, no. it just left me feeling... The soundtrack was, was eerie. It was. It was but I didn't eerie. feel like there was enough. Anyways, I also totally. had a sour taste in my mouth. This is why walking we're into telling the movie. this story. Yes. So... Zach, do you like sitting next to a stranger at the movies? I mean, not exactly. No one likes that. No, no one's like buying a an end like a like if you're with a group, no one's buying the ticket on the end of your group, hoping to find someone you don't know. Right? Next
0: no, 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 no.
1: You always hope to get that extra seat. Sometimes people put their jackets out for yeah. a imaginary friends.
0: Yes, and this lady should have.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so we were walking up. We were with a group of people from our school, DBU, Dallas Baptist University. Shout out Patriots. Go Pat's. And i quickly realizing that I'm on the end of our group. Right. And so I'm like, okay, bummer. But it's, it's okay. You roll with right, it. Right, right. I roll with it. All right, I'm quick on my feet and I'm like, this is an opportunity right. to create a moment. There it is. As we learned from Jake Talpert. And you did. And I did. <laughs> and now we're telling a story about it's it. so good. So I walk over and I notice it's an elderly couple.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'll tell you their name in a second. Yep. And I like sit down in my chair and I'm like walking. I'm like realizing... This is all like within a split second. I'm like, I'm realizing that I'm going to have to sit next to a stranger during a movie. I'm like, ugh. And then I basically was like, I needed to check my attitude. I right. was like, all right, like get over it. Like she does too. Yeah. So I'm sitting down in my chair. I'm like, I look at her. I go, don't worry. I'll be, re- I'll be a good movie buddy.
0: And she- <laughs> that is such a funny intro right. too. It's like,
1: how could you not? Props. I'm such a warm guy. Yeah. I'm a charming man. You are. I'll say, I'll say it. it. You're a part-time cowboy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's what my shirt says. Um, anyway.
0: <laughs> so how does the old lady yeah, respond? Yeah, yeah.
1: So she looks at me and kind of like, is like, ha, ha like, okay. like basically like, gives me a look of, we don't need to talk anymore. Right. And is, gives like some like short response. And so I was like, okay, I don't want to end there. Like. So I was, I, my plan was literally to ask her her name, say that it was nice to meet her and then turn back to my group right. because I don't want to keep talking to a stranger.
0: Just so you know that you have a pleasant person sitting right, next right, to exactly.
1: you. Right, exactly. I'm trying to establish we're on the same team. We both know that we're not in the ideal seat. Right. And so I say, my name's Cooper. What's your name? And she lo- she, she looks, I, I, oh, I was sticking out my hand. You couldn't see that because it's a podcast. But a I was point. extending my hand like as if to shake her hand to kind of like say it's nice to meet you. And so I say, "Hi, my name's Cooper, what's your name?" And she looks at me, her arms are like folded and crossed, like on her body, she's sitting in her chair right. and looks looks at me, looks at my hand, shakes her head, "No." And I'm like, this is all happening really fast. <laughs> and then she kind of like realizes that's like
0: super so rude. rude, so rude. And so she
1: kind of like awkwardly like jerks her hand out from her like not in the rude way but like in a realizing she's just, like trying to recover away like right. awkwardly jerks her hand out to shake it and she goes uh mrs vaughn <laughs> <laughs> and i go nice to meet you mrs vaughn and i just turn quickly away from her and i'm just like left in the awkwardness right. of like why did she do that why did she make that tough. so much more awkward than it tough, needed to be tough
0: tough moral of the story if you're sitting next to someone in a, in a movie theater. Hopefully
1: you're not sitting next to Miss Vaughn. No. I, think it could, I think it could have no. been an incredible story. Yes. I'm going to do that next time. Of course. I'm going to say the same line. I think it's funny. And it
0: just like loosens the mood. You're all uptight if you're sitting next to somebody. Oh, dude, that is so funny.
1: Next time, I'm going to take my seat, nestle in, get a little comfortable. Look to my neighbor, extend my hand with a smile, and say,
0: Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderberg, here
1: with my co-host, Coop. Ooh. That's what I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna I'm gonna create a better friend than Mrs. Vaughn. I think Good that would have worked
0: on it. Speaking of friends we've made, we've got a great interview today. Cool. We do. We've got Deidra Romero mm. from Nashville, Tennessee. She works for Michael Hyatt and Company. Yes. Just the leadership of all leadership firms I mean, down there. And she is the coordinator of his business accelerator program. So what they do is they bring in high-level businesses and they teach them how to lead pretty much. Yeah. So this lady is not only working under Michael Hyatt, but she is actively applying what she's learning and in giving it to these businesses and it's changing not only lives, but it's changing businesses because they're teaching them how to balance work and life because it's something that they've struggled with and they've learned how to fix it. And so they're helping people with it. But on the side, she's a mom blogger. So how this started, wow. she'll talk about it in it, but she has a, a, a video on YouTube that kind of went viral. Okay. Her and some moms in Franklin, Tennessee, they created a, a, a parody to Megan Trainor's All About That Bass, about Chick-fil-A. you know
1: I'm all about that bass, about that bass,
0: no trouble. That's right. But she did it about Chick-fil-A. It kind of went viral for a little bit, and then it turned into those moms coming together, and they created a like a marketing firm together. Wow. Started making commercials in their home, and so then it moved on, moved on. Now she's working for Michael Hyatt. So like, she is fascinating. Literally. So like, cool. From the ground up. Literally. She built herself. And it was like, she talks about it there too. It was during the recession, like making her own stuff because it was hard to find a job. Yeah. So she's doing stuff on the side. This girl is intense. She's cool. She's getting after it. She's doing some cool things.
1: And she has something in common with Kanye. What they is it? They both like Chick-fil-A.
0: <laughs> they do. Close on Sunday. Close on Sunday. So what we talked to Deidre about today is vulnerability in leadership. She talks a lot about the questions that leaders need to ask to the people they're leading in order to get the greatest feedback to know how that they can lead better. Yeah. We, we know a lot today. A lot of leaders just think they need to put up this face that they're perfect, that there's nothing wrong yep. when that's just not true. People want to follow people who are broken because everyone is broken. Yep. Everyone has flaws. Everyone has things that they've done wrong or they're going to do wrong and it's okay. So we talk about what it looks like. Like to to lead from that, lead from a limp, and, and Deidre's fascinating and, and has a lot of great stuff. Please, yeah, please. authenticity yeah. it goes a long way. So I learned a ton. She's so fun. It was such a fun time to sit down with her. Deidre, thank you so much. We're excited. Here we go. Here's our interview with Deidre Romero. Well, Deidre, thank you on short notice. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here of and course. being with me and, and just sitting down and talking. And answering some questions. So start by introducing yourself. Yeah. Who are you? What are you up to? Mm-hmm. How did you get to where you are?
2: Oh, good question. How did I get here? My name is Deidre Romero. I am the program coordinator at Michael Hyatt & Company for our group coaching program called Business Accelerator. Okay. So what we do with Business Accelerator is we invite CEOs and entrepreneurs um, into a group coaching environment where they get coached um, in a group of about 50 people and they walk through our curriculum. So we've put together a three-year curriculum that leads them to um, to better personal development so that they can win at work and succeed at life. Mm -hmm. Um, At Michael Hyatt & Company, that's our mission, win at work and succeed at life, because we really think it's possible. Uh, A lot of leaders struggle with work-life balance, and especially entrepreneurs, they find themselves a few years into their journey really burned out, and their most important relationships are suffering. And um, that's the story of our boss, Michael Hyatt. And kind of why he started Michael client Company is because he saw that happening and that happened to him personally. And so he realized that there had to be a way. He had five daughters that he was raising, um, and he just realized there had to be a way where we right. could do it. We could win at work and succeed at life. And so that's our mission, and that's what we help um, our – everybody in our, our group coaching program do. So my job is really to take care of those clients in that program to kind of guide them through this experience. Yeah. So communicate with them and um, make sure they're really getting everything out of the program that they deserve. And so I get to witness, I say I have the best job at the company because I really get to witness their journeys from burnt out. Um, they're questioning their leadership skills, their relationships at home are suffering. They're working 70 hours a week. They haven't taken a vacation in years. Mm-hmm. And I see them take month long sabbaticals right. and welcome new kids into their family and, um, just enter into a new phase of life. So that is just like, it's such a gift to get That's to walk. So rewarding it, to really that. it really so is. It really is. Yeah. So I you have like a special. little side deal. Yeah. Sort so of. Before Tell me about it. That's sh- the first thing I heard about you. <laughs> yeah. It precedes me. So before I started at Michael Hyatt Company, well, let me back up. After I graduated from college, what year was that? It was 08. My first job out of college was um, I was working in accounts payable. I had a psychology degree. Okay. Working in accounts payable. It was the recession. You guys, how old were you in 08? Right. Like oh, during gosh. the recession. You were probably like, like in elementary school, right? right? So. People who graduated, millennials who graduated during this recession, we had no opportunities for jobs. There there just weren't jobs. There was nothing. And we would search for months and it was horrible because you just had this bright, shiny degree and you couldn't do anything with it. And so I found a job in accounts payable. It was actually a really good paying job with benefits and it was not what I wanted to be doing, but I was like, okay, it's fine. I can, I can file things. I can like do bills and work in accounting. And so I took that job and there was so much downtime. That they were like, hey, you know, like we really need somebody in this position, but there's a lot of downtime, so feel free to read or you know do whatever you want on the internet. Well, this is when blogs were just blowing up, and I discovered Michael Hyatt's blog in 08. He was Mm. still the CEO at Thomas Nelson at the time, and he was blogging about having a personal platform and why that was important for people. And I'd wanted to be a writer for a really long time, and I was like, you know what, I. Like being a therapist would be amazing. That would be so fun. That's what I went to, got my degree in, but I think I really want to write. So I started a blog in 08, um, following my guides' advice about blogging and that just turned into a whole thing. And then after I had my son, I quit my full-time job and I started blogging, freelance writing. I wrote for baby center, the number one, uh, media company for parents yeah. in America and it opened up so many doors. And then my friends and I, we started a media company together. And we had – it was the craziest flash in the pan. We right. had a YouTube sensation. We did a um, – a parody of, what is it, Megan Trainers, All About That Bass, but right. we did it about Chick-fil-A. So of if course. you guys have your phones, grab, you know, look up YouTube. Tech, the texting yoga pants is what we called ourselves. And it. we did these like funny parody videos. Well, after our first parody went viral, we got an offer from Viacom to do a commercial deal. So we started doing commercials for CMT and Nickelodeon for like the moms. No way. It was incredible. It was such a cool journey. So we did commercials for checks and- um, like culturel Vitamins, like That's all amazing. these random brands. It was insane. And we got to film them at our homes. So we would have like these 50 person crew come right. in and we would do a 12 hour shoot with our kids. And
0: that is so it fun. was just
2: fun. So we got to do a lot of fun projects and um, honestly, like never thought I'd be doing something like that. Right. But I love media. I've always loved media. It doesn't matter what form, like podcasts, books, mm-hmm. YouTube, blogs, all the things And this was just another chance for me to learn more about media. And so that opportunity to like to cook those deals with major brands and to be in the room with producers and that kind of exposure was just like, I don't know, it was just amazing. Um, Priceless, really. So I did that for a few years and then that kind of was winding down. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I sold my share of the company to the other partners. And, um, I was like, you know, I think I I still want to work in media. Um, but I want to work with a bigger team. So I'd been kind of doing my own thing for about five years at that point. And that's whenever I um, saw a job opening at Michael Hyatt and company. So that's when I started here. So it was you're two years ago. Full
0: circle. Yeah. Started with the blog. And totally. Exactly.
2: Exactly. It's so funny. Um, yeah. And I just it, getting to work in media and do what I love every day and get to work with a really vibrant team, um, especially being so connected to the mission here, right. you know, like when at work and succeed at life, I have two little kids at home and um, you know, I wouldn't be able to have a career and be the mom I want to be at most work environments. Right. right? Um, But here I'm able to make my own schedule. Uh, We have unlimited PTO. So whenever Mm -hmm. we need to take off, like, you know, if I needed to go on a field trip with my kids or take one of them to the doctor, I have that sort of flexibility. And that is like, it is incredible. And that really is like the win at work and succeed at life. You know, that's, that's our our whole thing. And so it's really a blessing.
0: That's amazing. So before yeah. we get into what we want to talk about today, I want to dive into that for just a second. Yeah. The work-life balance. Yeah. What would you tell the person who is struggling mm. finding that balance? They have kids at home. Yeah. They're succeeding at work, but they feel like they're failing with their children. Yeah. What is the piece of advice that helped you the most to, to find that balance?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I think that even... Because I had this problem even when I was right out of college and I started a full-time career. I felt like all I did was work. Right. Even though I was only working 40, 45 hours a week. It felt like I didn't have space for anything else in my life except work. And that's just a limiting belief right there is that this is all I can do with my life and – um you know, I don't have time to invest in my most important relationships, or I don't have time for hobbies, or I don't have time to go to the gym. Those are all really limiting beliefs. And so the first thing is to realize that it is possible. It's so possible for you to have a career that's fulfilling, that energizes you, um, that doesn't leave you drained at the end of the day. And it's really possible for you to be able to like foster your growth and your your personal self and not just live for the weekends, you know, like that's a miserable existence. It really is. It is. And I think you know, looking back at myself when I was in my first career, that's how I lived. You know, I was like, this is what I have to do um, to get by is like live for the weekends right. because I didn't know it was possible. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So for today's podcast, what we want to talk about is vulnerability and yeah. leadership, vulnerability in the workplace. Yeah. So starting just overarching 30,000 foot view, what mm-hmm. is vulnerability?
2: Vulnerability is bringing your true self to the table. Mm-hmm. And, um, being your most authentic self. Yeah. So not hiding what you feel or hiding what you think and not performing for other people. Mm.
0: That's a problem. Yeah, that is it a is problem a problem. In our, especially in my generation in even your generation, yeah. everybody wants to perform. Everyone yeah. wants to put on their best face yep. for the people they're leading. Yeah. So what's the importance of vulnerability? Why do I do it?
2: Well, first of all, it's it is the healthiest way to be. It's right. the best way for you to show up. Because you, there's so much mental energy and mental drag whenever you're like, before you walk into a meeting, you're thinking, who am I supposed to be in this room? Mm-hmm. Instead of what's my true self and how am I gonna bring my true self to the table now? Right. Like that is a really draining existence. Mm-hmm. I, my first couple of jobs I had out of college they were really toxic work environments. And so I had to be constantly protecting myself and I, there was not an opportunity for me to be my most authentic self. I could not be honest with the people in the room about what I was thinking and feeling and my ideas, because it was a dangerous work environment. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's just not a good way for anybody to live constantly worrying about what kind of impression you're making. So I would say like, it's a gift to yourself to be vulnerable In any kind of situation, to be your best, most true self. Right. Um, The the second thing is that people will trust you more. Mm. They will, if you can bring your your best self to work, your most true self to work every day, your whole self. Everybody that you work with is going to feel that way. Right. Um, My supervisor, um, one of my supervisors while I've been here at Michael Hyatt and Company, her name is Susie. She's uh, was our director of operations. She's no longer at the company, but this is really something that she taught me because. She constantly brought her whole self to work. And in all of our one-on-one meetings, she would always open them up with, how are you doing? What's going on with you? And then when we would talk about like kind of what was on my plate for the week, I would say like, this is my, we use terms big three, which Mm -hmm. is based off of our planner and our whole productivity system that we have. Um, So I would say like, these are my big three for the week. These are my big wins from last week. And then she would ask me, how do you feel about your workload? So it wasn't just like, what's on your plate. She would check in with me emotionally, mentally. How are you feeling about this work that you're being asked to do? Do you have enough margin in your life to do the things that are on your plate? Do you need help? Mm -hmm. And that's not a conversation that you get to have in most workplaces because that's seen as a weakness. You know, if I were to say like, you know what, I actually do have too much on my plate this week. It would be really helpful if I could have somebody assist me on this. Like that's not a normal conversation that happens in American workplaces. And so um, she really taught me like, how to bring my whole self to work.
0: Right. And I think a lot of it comes down to the human connection. A lot of people don't feel connected to the person who is in charge of them or leading because they are on a kind of a utopian island of like, yeah. there's nothing wrong,
2: but yeah. it's part of
0: the vulnerability of like, I have weaknesses mm-hmm. too, and being right. able to get on someone's level.
2: Yeah. Because you can't improve if you are not aware of the weaknesses. Right. And, um, you know, we also have a, a culture at Michael Hyatt and company that it's okay to ask for help. Mm. It is always okay to ask for help. And that is one of the biggest indicators of workplace um, success is how, uh, employees feel if they were to ask for help, do they feel comfortable asking for help or do they feel like that would be like a detriment to their career? And so I know that it's always okay for me to speak up and say, Hey guys, I'm sick this week. I need help. Can somebody fill in? Can somebody cover this for me? And nobody's going to think anything about it. Um, There's this amazing book that we read a couple of years ago called The Loyalist Team. We actually had one of the authors come in uh, and do a team training for us. And she talked about like one of the characteristics of a loyal, they call it a loyalist team. But Mm -hmm. one of the characteristics of this team is that they always assume positive intent with their coworkers. Mm -hmm. So if somebody comes to me and says, hey, like I totally dropped the ball on this thing. Can you help me out? I'm not going to assume that that person is a lazy loser because they like forgot this thing, right? I'm Mm. just going to assume they're overwhelmed. I've made mistakes too. So I think assuming positive intent is kind of something that helps create this environment where it's okay to be vulnerable with people and express weaknesses and to ask for help. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That is so good. Asking for help and even dive into more of optimism, of believing the best in people rather Mm -hmm. than just... Like like what you said, that they're lazy, they're not getting things done. How does a leader or how do we cultivate Mm -hmm. an environment of optimism?
2: Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. I think that's one characteristic characteristic of a toxic work environment is that people are always assuming the worst about other people. And they're always kind of protecting themselves and watching their back. Mm. And so being optimistic and um, assuming that everybody is always working their hardest – You know, we we're a virtual company. We have a co-working space that we can come to if we want to. But for the most part, you know, we're we're not micromanaging our employees. Everybody works on their own time. You know, they have to be available during regular business hours, but we have the freedom to work whenever we think is best for us. Mm. And so, um, you know, that would not work. If we always assumed like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so's over there, they're at home, they're probably like not even working. They're like doing their laundry, right. folding clothes, watching Netflix right now. But, you know, if we assumed the worst about people, this environment, we would not be able to work the way we work. Right. But because we always assume everybody is hardworking, everybody's doing their best, everybody is pushing as hard as they can, Um it's just a different it's a really healthy environment for everybody to be in.
0: Right. And I feel micromanaging can kind of be a byproduct of the lack of vulnerability. You know? Oh, so yeah. what oh, what yeah. would you say is the opposite of micromanaging? And how do we do that?
2: Well, there's the opposite of micromanaging is being laissez-faire about everything, mm-hmm. which is like everything goes, anything goes, I'm not even going to check in with you, like deadlines don't matter, yeah, right? Yeah, so how do
0: we find the balance? How yeah, do we find that so the balance in between.
2: I see this a lot with our clients in our group coaching program. Their mm-hmm. biggest problem is that they don't know how to delegate To other people, because they really feel like nobody can do it as good as I can. And delegation, if you can master delegation early on in your career, you will be able to scale so much faster. Mm -hmm. And really the key to delegation is knowing what you're the best at what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and delegating your weaknesses, yeah. right? So that goes back to authenticity and vulnerability and being vulnerable with other people. Mm-hmm. So I know that I am not good at creating systems right. and processes. So I have someone on our team who I go to whenever I need help with that. And I'm like, Hey, Aura, I don't know how to create this system. This is the problem, and this is kind of the end result that I'm looking for. Can you create a process for this? That's my weakness, and I delegate that to her, and she's a star at that. Like, that's an opportunity for her to shine. That is her strength. Mm -hmm. So, realizing early on in your career what your strengths and weaknesses are, and there are tons of assessments that can help you with this too. You don't need to figure it out on your own, and you can always ask other people for feedback. Say, hey, you know, what do you think? You know, go to your superior and say, what do you think some of my weaknesses are? So I want, I want to be really clear about this, though. There are weaknesses. We kind of have this idea that my weaknesses need to be improved. Yep. They don't. Your weaknesses might always be your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And you can try and try as hard as you want to improve in those areas. But you're, I'm never going to be great at details. Right. Because that's not the way I'm wired. So it's better for me to find somebody who is great at details and delegate to them.
0: And that's a high-performing team. Right. Because if you're working on your strengths, and you find someone else to work on their strengths. That's when, say, the pistons will turn and you can can roll.
2: You can. So there's this great assessment that we use called the Colby Index. Okay. Um, It was created by Kathy Colby back in the 70s. And the Colby Index tells you how you do your best work. So if I were to give you a task, how would you initiate work? Like how would you problem solve and attack that problem? And it goes off of your instincts. It's a really weird assessment, um, but I encourage everybody to look it up and go take the Colby A index. I think it costs $50, but it's some of the best money you'll spend. Mm. And in your first job interview, it's something you can talk about with right. your boss and they may or may not have heard about it, you know, whoever's interviewing you, but coming to the table and saying like, these are my strengths and this is where I how I work best mm. and being really honest because they. Always ask that question in interviews: What are your weaknesses? And right. nobody ever knows what to say. Yeah. And so, this is a really good way for you to say, like, "Hey, I know my weaknesses. I've taken the Colby a Index. I am not great at assessing risks." you know, I am such a risk taker and I like to move fast. Mm. And sometimes I don't pump the brakes when I should. That means I'm great at innovation, but that also means I need somebody to counterbalance me and help me to, um, you know, check myself every once in a while and assess the risk. So that's the kind of thing Colby can tell you, the Colby index. So we use that at Michael Hyatt and Company to determine job fit and to also show you how you can delegate better. So right. that's a tool we use with our clients too, um, to show them like their areas of weakness. And that's, those are non-debatable, right? It's not, you can't fix those areas of weakness. So you might as well delegate those out. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. And even walking into an interview, knowing your weaknesses, but also knowing your strengths. Because yeah. I feel like whenever yeah. I'm talking to someone and they're like, what are your strengths? Yeah. That's almost even harder for me to say mm-hmm. because I don't want to sound prideful. You and know? especially
2: if you don't have a lot of work experience. Exactly.
0: So how do you combat that? or how, yeah. how do you? And it would even be good to have it on paper to right. say, look, this is a test I took to say yep. this. How do you kind of present that?
2: Yeah. I would also encourage you to take the Clifton Strengths Finder. Um, that's something that we use here. And it's 34 different strengths and it was your top strengths. And you're like the lowest. So you're right. not strengths, you weaknesses. Yes. So that's something too, that you can say like, Hey, my top strengths are strategic planning and you know flexibility, adaptability. Right. It will tell you these things. So um, I think that goes back to vulnerable, vulnerability. Yep. And if you go into a job interview and you're honest with people about what your strengths and weaknesses are, and they say, no, thank you. That's not a place where you want to work. Yep. Okay. I, you know, before I worked here, I always had the mentality of like, when I go into a job interview, I'm just going to perform enough to get the job. Right. But now in my thirties, I know that I need to show up as my true self. I need to bring that vulnerability to the table. And if they're not willing to welcome that, then that's not a good fit for me.
0: Right. Talk about feedback. We'll circle back yeah, to that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you approach feedback mm-hmm. and how do you get it without it? Becoming a frustration. Oh gosh, you know? yeah. Feedback is hard. really
2: hard. It, it really is, is so hard to take feedback from people. Um, one book that we use, uh, and then we've really baked it into our culture at Michael Hyatt and Company, is called Radical Candor. Um, it's written by Kim Scott, and I encourage everybody to read it personally. It will um set you on to a new path of growth. But professionally too, it's all about giving and receiving feedback and creating this kind of environment for radical candor where you can be honest. And here's the definition of radical candor. It is often and immediate feedback. Mm. So giving feedback, creating an environment where you can give feedback constantly and often, and it can be from a place of honesty. So, um, let me just give you a real life example of this. I did a Q and a panel, um, on stage at one of our events. It was one of my first like on stage kind of things for Michael Hyatt and company. And, um, it was fine. Like I thought I did fine. It wasn't, a, I wasn't like, oh man, I was so phenomenal. Or, you know, I wasn't like, oh, it was terrible, but it was fine. Totally. And after I got off the stage, I got a Slack message from our COO, Megan. And she said, hey, you were amazing in the spirit of radical candor. I've got some feedback for you. Yeah. Because we have radical candor baked into our culture and it's this common language and something we all ascribe to, I was able to read her feedback and know Megan has my best interest at heart. Megan has the most positive intentions for me, and she's not doing this to hurt me. She's right. doing this because she wants me to get better. Yeah. She's not trying to be mean to me. She, everything was so constructive and so helpful, and it really did push me into the next level.
0: Yeah. So it kind of sounds like it starts from the top and yeah, trickles down. Yeah, it definitely the does. Canter. So how it totally as a does. leader yeah. do we do that? How do we yeah. say bake? Radical Candor into our organization or even a small team that we're
2: leading. Yeah. So I can tell you how we did it. Yeah. Because we read Radical Candor a couple, oh, it was probably a year and a half ago. And Michael and Megan read it and they were like, this is crazy. We have to try this with our team. Megan and Michael pulled in all of our directors and C-level officers into the meeting, like no prep. They gave them no time to prepare. And they said, we have two questions for you guys. So the first question was, where do you think I need to improve or grow my leadership to ensure our collective success? So the success of everybody, what do you think I need to do to improve or grow? And the second question they asked is, what do you need from me that you aren't getting now? Hmm. And so those two questions are not questions most leaders would be comfortable asking their teams, not at all. right? And they this was a one-way street, right? So Michael and Megan sat down and they said um they asked all the leadership team tell us. They right. never turned it back around on them. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. weren't this only goes one way. Right. It only goes from the bottom up. When it goes from the top down, it's different. It takes on a different meaning. right? And so it's better if it goes this direction. So they asked Susie, who is our director of operations to go first, because they know that she, she's worked with them the longest and she's a very bold person. And so they knew she would be comfortable taking that risk and answering that. It was hard for her though. Like, like it's very hard in a room and it's hard to feel safe in that kind of envi- environment. Um, but they did it. And Michael and Megan said it was the most transformational thing they've ever done in their lives. And it paid off phenomenally, like exponentially throughout the last 18 months. So now this is something we teach our clients to do. That's amazing. Drill it down to these questions. And what are the questions you're afraid to ask? Like, what are the things you're afraid to know the truth about? Like, am I working you too hard? Am I pushing you too hard? What are the things about myself that I'm not seeing? What are my blind spots? Asking those types of questions are so illuminating and will put you, um, on a new path of growth that you wouldn't have had before.
0: That is amazing. Yeah.
2: So after they did that with the leadership team, the, all of the leadership team went to their collective teams mm-hmm. and did the same exact thing. Yeah. And let me tell you, when my director came back and said, we're going to do this, I was terrified. Oh, I was like, no way. I'm not telling you what you're not good at. Like, that, yeah. that's not how this is supposed to work, right? Totally. You're supposed to tell me what I'm not good at. Um, but it put him in the position of vulnerability. And he was so welcoming, so kind, and so generous with the feedback that we gave him. Um, So I think you want to be a leader who can accept feedback. Uh, Kim Scott has a great quote in the book. I wrote it down in the notes of my phone because I love it so much. And it is about feedback. She said, Manage your feelings rather than letting them manage you. Remind yourself going in, talking about going into feedback. sessions like that, that no matter how unfair the criticism, your first job is to listen with the intent to understand and not to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of leaders, when they hear feedback, they want to prove the person wrong. They want to say, this is not true because you don't see X, Y, and Z. But if you go in with the intention of understanding and not defending, it changes everything. It really changes the whole conversation you're about to have.
0: Yeah. Talk about listening. What yeah. does it take to listen? And because it seems like they've fostered a an environment where mm-hmm. it's safe for you to say something totally. to your supervisor. It is because mm-hmm. they're willing to listen. A lot of leaders, yeah. like you said, they want to deflect or defend mm-hmm. it and say, "No, this is why this happened." Yeah, in reality, it's just your weakness, and you have to accept that. Totally. So talk about listening.
2: I there's always an open door here where if I see something that's not working, even if I don't have the solution, I can. I have this thing. I say personally. To myself, which is see something, say something. I think if you see something that is not working, that is not helping, that is not scalable, it's your job to speak up and say something because in six months it's gonna be a problem. And if you don't raise a flag early on, and you don't necessarily have to do anything. So a lot of times I'll go to my um, supervisor, Chad, and I'll be like, hey, Chad, just so you know this is a problem that we have, um, with communication with our clients. Like this is an issue. And right now it's not a big issue because we don't, we're not, we don't have a thousand clients. We have 400 clients, but when we have a thousand clients, this is going to be a problem. And so that kind of feedback, Chad's like, oh, you're right. Like he can't see that from where he is, you know? And, um, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to take action on it or that I necessarily have a solution today. Now you don't want to be a person who always brings up problems without solutions. Whenever I see a solution, I always say it too, but it's good to just raise flags about that because, um, Leaders who don't listen to things like that and they're just like, oh, we'll, we'll deal with it later. They're kind right. of avoidant. That creates so many problems in the future. So mm-hmm. creating this environment where it's okay to listen and speak up about things, that is like the best thing that you can do for the mental energy of right. the team. Right. Because then everybody is not expending mental energy in the wrong places. They're putting their energy into the right places.
0: And it gives ownership to everyone you lead to take initiative for things that they think can be. Exactly. Yeah. So as we, and I want to get practical on the how, Mm -hmm. I think vulnerability the vulnerability to accept feedback is what is really the backbone of a high performing team, I yeah, believe. I think so. And so, so too. getting practical, what is our how? How can our listeners walk away being more vulnerable and being being able to excel in leadership when yeah. in life like we were talking about?
2: I think um going back to strengths and weaknesses like really honing in on your strengths and weaknesses so taking the uh, Clifton strengths finder taking the Colby assessment if you haven't done any kind of deep diving on the Enneagram I would encourage you like get a coach get an Enneagram coach and knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are and accepting that your weaknesses are your weaknesses you're not necessarily going to improve those you can make minimal improvements, mm-hmm. but you know, if you're not a details person, no, I'm not talking about like weaknesses and how you treat people. Like right. that's totally different. I'm talking about like, um, like you're the way you work mm-hmm. because you're wired to work a certain way and your strengths are so amazing. And, um, you really need to lean into your strengths and not focus on your weaknesses, but being aware of your weaknesses and then communicating that to your team and just saying like, Hey, you know what? I'm not great at project management who on this team is great at project management? Like, could you take over the project management for me? So I think that's like one of the biggest hows, like how to be vulnerable with your team. And then that creates an environment, um, where you're okay to ask for help. When you do that, everybody around you feels okay to ask for help. Yeah.
0: And when you're able to do that, everyone gets better.
2: That's right. Everybody gets better. I love Mm -hmm. it. So
0: as we end, as we land the plane, I want to just give you the mic What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? If you're looking to leadership, looking just to life, any life advice. You went viral on on YouTube. That's pretty awesome. What advice would you give us?
2: I would say if you don't land your dream job right out of college, it's going to be okay. If you don't write a book before you're 25, it's going to be okay. Life is really long. And I had friends out of college who were doing crazy, amazing things and they were early bloomers. And it's better to do the work and do do the waiting and the character building and putting in the time and learning about yourself and growing than being an overnight success. Mm-hmm. I think that was the hardest lesson I had to learn in my 20s because I felt like I should be doing big things right out of the gate and like, you know, I didn't land this job until I was 31. And this was a full circle moment for me. This was like so incredible. And working with this team is a dream come true. And having these opportunities that I'm having today, um, you know, if I would have had those in my 20s, I don't know that I would have been as thankful for them as I am now. So like I call it the waiting place. Like, Being in that waiting place is really sacred and there's a lot of hard work you're going to do there and it is all going to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: Deidre, thank you so much yeah. for your time and, and being You're with welcome. us and spilling some of your wisdom. We've yeah. really loved it. Go get the book Radical Candor if you haven't already. Yes. And then how can we find that video? It's hilarious. The Chick
2: fil A video. It yes. is hysterical. If you just look up The Texting Yoga Pants and Chick fil A, <laughs> which is or, also
0: a hilarious name, it's hilarious. How do y'all get to that? Just last So
2: wh- you, there was a movie called The Traveling the the traveling pants I think mm-hmm. it was like a book and a movie like when we were younger so like people in their 30s know what it is but since we're a parody group and we texted all the time and we right. wore yoga pants because we we're moms we just parodied it off of that that's so awesome. the texting yoga it just stuck really well so you can find that and you can find me on Instagram Deidre yeah. Daily. I'm there and you can follow all my antics and um yeah everything I'm up to
0: that's awesome well thank you so yeah. much for your time we appreciate it
2: it was awesome thanks